0: It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P Jug, and Hobbs. 17 episodes of Moon, P Jug, and Hobbs. What? I didn't even think we'd get to seven. You're not the only one, buddy. When we started this <laughs> thing, we're thinking, I don't think anybody's going to listen. And then we started talking to these uh, podcast gurus. And they're like saying, No. You know, there were people that used to listen to you on the radio that would probably follow you if you did a podcast. And I'm thinking there's nobody that's that dumb that wants to hear all those same stories again. (laughs) And then I'm surprised to learn that sure enough, a lot of people are downloading this. They're clicking on Spotify. They're clicking on the Tom Bernard network. They got it on Apple music. We found out later, most people do download it on an iPhone and listen uh, through Apple products. I feel slighted. I'm a droid guy, so I don't know what the hell's wrong with the droid people, but you need to pick up your game. Okay, <laughs> let's go ahead and introduce the people they are going to uh, talk to you today. Uh, we have my wife. That's P-Jug. Hey, P-Jug here. And, you know, uh, we also have Hobbs here. Hobbs is trying to get re- ready for a comedy show. Do you have a show tonight? I do. Where?
1: Um, at a, It's a place called Sisyphus Brewing. They built a a specific room off of this brewery just for stand-up comedy about five years ago. And it is one of the hottest rooms in in the Twin Cities. Oh. Right but it's our it's our Wednesdays show. So it is a variety show. Gay performers, some straight performers. I'm one of the few straight ones. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then we have intermixed. We have performance art and drag queens and all kinds of stuff. And it is just a blast.
0: Now let's meet Dave Schrader. I needed some help with some podcast stuff and there was somebody that helps Tom Bernard and Winifred is the name that is, you know, working with Tom, booking guests and stuff like that. And then eventually she said, you could even talk to my husband, Dave Schrader. Are you familiar with him? And I get on Google immediately to find out what kind of bad things he's done. Okay. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then I, I find out, that he not only does a podcast, he not only does like a radio show, he's an author. Look him up on IMDb. I mean, he's all over the place. And, uh, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, too, right? Yeah, I began
2: uh, Twin Cities Radio here on Twin Cities News Talk Station. I was with them for uh, almost 10 years doing the paranormal radio show. As you've learned, there's no money in radio, so I jumped off the (laughs) podcast, and that's where we've been now for uh, the last five, six years, is doing straight podcasts with uh, Darkness Radio. Darkness Radio, where'd you come up with the name? I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. When we first sat down, uh, my partner said, all right, so you know he was working for a little radio station in town at the time and and said, hey, we've got this uh, one-hour spot every Sunday from 11 to midnight, do you want to do a radio show together? We hadn't done radio since college in 1990, and I'm like, yeah, I do. Let's do this. And he goes, what what do you want to do? I said, how about Paranormal? And uh, I said, really, there's nobody out there besides Coast to Coast that's doing Paranormal. And he said, sure, what what are we going to call the show? And I said, how about Darkness on the Edge of Town, Paranormal Radio Show? And he goes, let's do it. And we launched, and uh, I bought the URL Darkness Radio, and that's how everybody kind of referred to us. So we even though we are fully known as darkness on the edge of town paranormal radio show that's just too damn much to type into our URL browser so, <laughs> yeah.
1: so are you insinuating that maybe if a show's title ha- is too long and difficult to spell in a URL that that maybe we should get, someone could just consider yeah sure.
2: <laughs> yeah just shorten it to freefood.com or I like I like jugs.com you can't lose people are gonna find it by accident
0: let's go to music first of all because you brought up bruce springsteen and i know that you just got back from seeing springsteen on broadway yes tell us about yeah. that
2: you know i've been a huge uh bruce fan since the 80s you know when his born in the usa album came out i was a teenager It was right in the the uh mix for for all the great music that came out of the 80s and i had actually been going through a really tough time uh Had lost a girl, lost all my friends, and just had this really down period. And I had uh, actually decided, oh, you know, that's it. It's time to check out. And uh, I went up, took a gun from my dad's gun cabinet, put it in my mouth, pulled the trigger, and nothing happened. So I pulled it out, looked, it was loaded, safety's off. I put it back in my mouth, pulled the trigger, nothing happened. And I thought, well, what the hell? And then my dad's headlights swept through the room, and I figured I can't let him hear the sound and then know he was that close so I put the gun away and went downstairs, turned on the radio, put on my headphones and sat there scrolling the stations and I caught dancing in the dark. And all of a sudden it felt like somebody just removed their hands from my ears and I started to hear this. And here I am, self-absorbed teenage boy, about 17 years old. Nobody's ever felt this depressed. Nobody's ever lost a love or felt this bad about the way they look in their life. And all of a sudden I'm hearing this guy singing, you know, I can't stand my my hair, my clothes, my face. And he's just getting by every day he's dancing in the darkness of depression and and at the end of the song he's all about hey you can't just sit here crying about your little world falling apart you need a spark you got to get back into life and it it just spoke to me and I, I think I heard that song no more than about 10 to a dozen 10 times to a dozen times one after another Chicago I lived in that area so there's a billion radio stations and they were all playing it so it really spoke to me and I felt like you know something delivered me that night and I I began to kneel at the uh the altar of rock and roll and Bruce Springsteen was my preacher. And that was it from that point on his music. Every time I felt like I was isolated alone or was having a fantastic run, there was a song that would match how I felt. And I I met other Springsteen fans that had the same kind of vibe. And I realized there's this cathartic healing to music. And especially when you find the one that connects with you and that I've always said, saved my life. And that's been a big part of my journey. So I've seen Springsteen every time uh, since his born in the USA album the only thing I missed was when he was on Broadway a few years ago. And when when he came back, I told Winnie, I said, Pony, we're getting tickets. She goes, yeah, we're going to, to Broadway. I go, yeah, we're going to Broadway. And <laughs> July 14th, we got to sit there and see what I think, hands down, was one of the best shows that's ever been done. It was He had you laughing like the best comedian you've ever met. He had you on the edge of your seat, and then he had you crying with some of the music and, and the way he played it, just a different angle on these songs. It was very emotional for me when he had to sit there up in my back during Dancing in the Dark. He did a very stripped-down version, but again, connected with me on a level that nobody ever has. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of what he does.
0: I was on YouTube just last night because I knew you were going to talk some Springsteen, and there's Courtney Cox in the video, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Shot here in like- Minnesota, though. Yeah, I think it was at the Civic Center or at the old Met Center.
2: It was one of those two. They shot here. Uh, they did that whole video in Minnesota, yeah.
0: And, you know, because I was on the air at the time, Bruce's Dance in the Dark, Cover Me, My my Hometown. I mean, how many hits did the guy have over the years? It was just unreal. Right. Uh, I don't know what my favorite Springsteen song was, but when I went to see Bruce, he played literally the first time I saw him for four hours. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, I remember it being hot and muggy. I don't remember what city it was, but I knew that I had to see him again. So I did. Bruce went off on his own and he got a studio band together to travel with him. So it was just Bruce without Clarence or without Max or any of that stuff. And I'm thinking, damn, they sound really good too. Eventually, he came back to the XL Energy Center. I pulled all the strings I had. I wanted to meet him. And I said, can you please get me backstage, you know, so I could just shake the guy's hand or even look at him from 25 yards away. Because to me, Bruce was bigger than life. I get backstage and at the last second, they decide they're not going to do it backstage. Stars can do that if they want. Okay. So now I'm just standing there with my thumb up my butt. And eventually somebody came to me and they said, hey, since you can't get backstage, I got you something else. And they gave me a handwritten set list that Bruce wrote himself. Oh, Okay, now that's cool.
2: <laughs> no, hey, that I think that's great that you have something like that. I flew all the way to California to meet him at a book signing, and I waited outside all night until I was actually able to get out there and meet him
0: and take a photograph with him. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it was huge. And then uh, I don't know if you've heard the news today, but this is breaking my heart big time. Uh, ZZ Top's Dusty Hill Died Today. No! The very first music I ever purchased was the very first um, eight track that they did called Tres Hombres. And they were from Houston, Texas. I always thought there were like five or six guys in the band because they didn't sound like a little band. They sounded huge. And I love Tush. And uh, that was a saying that uh, Dusty Hill sang. I love LaGrange especially. Uh, Billy Gibbons on the guitar is like one of the best guys ever. And eventually I moved to Houston, Texas. It was hard for Dusty to go anywhere because he was so damn famous. Same with Frank, the drummer. I mean, he was the only guy without a beard. My second rehearsal dinner, I was getting married for the second time. We were at a little Italian place in Houston. And I noticed that nobody was sitting at my table that I had purchased for 50 bucks a plate or whatever it was. Right. And where is everybody? And I go and look and they're up at the bar. And I'm saying, you guys, it's it's kind of our night here. But what I didn't realize was that Billy Gibbons was sitting at the bar. They were buying him beers and he was just hanging out and they were talking about, you know, how to make guacamole and just stupid stuff. (laughs) Uh, I mean, so my love of ZZ Top probably uh, does not match your love of Bruce. However, it's a big love and a big loss today my guy is jimmy buffett i've seen him in 30 uh let's see i've seen him 36 times in 12 states and uh the day that he dies i think that'll be the day that i go as well i guess everybody is affected differently when a celebrity passes yeah uh when prince died that was a big deal i remember that uh because we were on the air uh p jug came home uh, at noon and said oh my god did you hear prince died and i'm like no way and so I flipped on the news and sure enough, it had happened. And then I went to work and, you know, I didn't know that my boss was going to go all prints for four hours, but that's what we did. And we were really super busy that day. And we watched the ratings the day that Prince died. Cause you can actually break down hour by hour, uh, you know, day by day, you know, they keep track of everything electronically with the portable people meters, what they call it. That's how Nielsen measures your audience size We had high enough ratings on the day that Prince died that we would have been number one in town just with the amount of usage of our radio station that day. One day was big enough for the whole month. And that was a big deal. And then what would you do with that, uh, Hobbs? Because you were around it then, too.
1: I had an appearance that day. And if you know radio promotions, no promotion is a good promotion without balloons. I specifically put a purple one in there because of Prince. And the purple balloon is gone. I'm not saying that Prince came to my promotion at the consignment store in Woodbury, but probably.
2: And he was just showing you as the balloon floated away, that's what it looks like when doves fly. Yes.
1: yes. Thank you, everybody. You
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 <laughs> Touche. There you go. There go. <laughs> that entire year, 2016, was brutal, right? We, David Bowie, Glenn Frey, Prince, George Michaels. And I know I'm, I'm forgetting... There was, I think there was around 30 musicians that died uh, from varying levels of of obscurity to fame that we lost in one year. That was the same year my mom passed away. The Cubs won the World Series, and uh, Trump won the uh, presidency. So Uh, it was a year that was unlike (laughs) any other in history.
0: Uh, And then I remember when Tom Petty died not too long after Prince. But didn't you actually have... Possibly a visit from your granddad when you were a kid. Actually, uh,
2: I had a visit from my grandmother when I was a little kid. And then I had a dream visitation with my grandfather when uh, he passed away when I was 21, 22 years old. So, I, yeah, I had both grandparents come back to me. My my story with my grandmother, I don't remember because I was very little. I was like three, three and a half. But she would come to me. I stayed at my grandfather's house to you know visit. And I, when I'd spend the night there. I slept in her room. My grandparents loved each other, but my grandfather snores like you're throwing glass bottles into a, a chipper shredder. <laughs> so uh, they had separate rooms at the uh, you know end of the halls from one another. Mom would come to pick me up and I'd talk to her about how grandma came to visit me. And she's like, Oh, that's sweet, honey. You dreamt of grandma. And, and then I would tell her things. And then finally, once I told her she was funny, she came and read me a story and she was wearing a pearl necklace and she was wearing a, a, a polka dot dress and she didn't have all of her teeth it was funny my mom was like oh that's weird Uh, my grandmother had been buried in a closed casket she died of cirrhosis and she didn't look like my grandmother when she passed so the only people that knew what she was buried in were my my grandfather my aunt who picked out the dress and handed it to my grandfather and the mortician that my grandfather gave the dress to and that I was able to describe perfectly what she had been buried in when even my mother didn't know My mom just happened to tell my aunt, she's like, Judy, you know, Dave's been having a lot of dreams about mom. And he just told me this. And my aunt's jaw hit the floor and then said, well, Terry, I've I've had a phone call from mom after she died. And she went on to talk about that. So it's you know, that was an interesting visitation. Then when my grandfather died, I was very depressed and dealing with that. And he came to me in a dream visitation. And and that's just like it sounds. You're sleeping. You're in this dream. And all of a sudden it becomes very lucid and real. As a matter of fact, it's, it's more clear to me than most of my living waking memories. And we had this great conversation and I brought back a piece of information that corroborated it was spiritual because during this, this funny conversation, my grandfather was a great guy. I was walking somewhere and all of a sudden I heard my name called, I turned around and I'm suddenly in my grandfather's house in Louisiana. And I turned back around and the house is now surrounding me. Well, I'd grown up watching Freddy Krueger movies. I knew what was coming next. Somebody was coming to slash me with their glove. Right? Uh,
0: uh, uh. <laughs> and,
2: I'm, I'm conscious of this. And all of a sudden I look out the back window and they have the, um, the, the old house, the secondary house in the back and he comes walking out the door and he looks a lot younger, a lot more spry. And I thought, oh, he's taken a long way to give me time to realize I'm about to talk to a dead guy. And he comes in the house and we had this conversation and, and he said, what questions do you have? And I said, did it hurt? Nope, didn't hurt to die. It, it didn't hurt at all. It was easy. That was easy as part of living. And then I said, did you, did you see your, you know, did you see grandma? Did you see your friends and relatives? Yep. They were all here to meet me when I came through. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And then all of a sudden I go, um, what's going to happen when Noel dies, your second wife? And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you're there with grandma, what's going to happen in a while? And he started laughing and uh, he goes, I, I understand. He goes, well, we'll all be here to meet her, your grandma too. And I'm like, what kind of freaky deaky situation going on in heaven? Some kind of hippy dippy. And he goes, listen, love here isn't like love on earth where you're my girlfriend. I'm your boyfriend. I'm your dad. You're my daughter. You're my this. You're, there's no ownership. It's just love. We'll all be here to greet her. And then he laid this on me. He goes, and um, her her other two husbands that died before me will be here to greet her as well. Now, I never knew that she had been married before. So I mentioned that to my mom and uh, my mom and aunt looked at each other and said, well, you know, she she married two other men that passed away very young. And I was like, wow, that's uh, that's crazy because I didn't know that aspect of her life. So I brought something back from that dream visitation that proved to me it was more than just the grieving process. I was given information that would prove that this was this was a ghostly encounter. So I had that happen. And, and, you know, I grew up in a haunted house in Illinois and I've had weird stuff throughout my entire life.
1: I know this is a podcast and you can, we can see each other, but like, obviously they can't see how we're reacting to it. Like my, my skin is like the, the hairs on my body are standing up. Have you read many lives, many masters? Are you yes. familiar yes. with Brian Weiss? Mm-hmm. So I've been dying to get a past life regression. Yes or no on past life regressions. Is it worth it? Because part of me wants to understand why I'm such a whack job, but part of me is like, ah, but I'm Irish. Just, ah, leave it alone.
2: Yeah. I. You know, here's the thing. It's up to your discretion. I have a hard time with it because I think, you know, like I have a friend who grew up and he loved the Civil War and he would paint miniatures and he knew things about the Civil War. So if he did a, a past life regression, I'm pretty sure it would come back Civil War related. But is it because he has a fascination with the Civil War or because he has those memories? Now- With that said, there are some overwhelming stories out there, and this is a great book. It's called Soul Survivor, S-O-U-L, Soul Survivor, and it's about this this young boy named James Leiniger. and you can find his story online and on videos. This story was one of the ones that really flipped the switch for me. This kid was very little, like barely able to speak. He would have these horrific nightmares, and his mother would, would hear him yelling, uh, little man going down, fire, fire, the plane's on fire, and he was barely able to speak. They were curious about what this meant, and the mother was kind of starting to think maybe this is reincarnation. The father was having none of it. And as James got older, he would relate other information. He would draw pictures of warplanes and attacks, and he would always sign James the third. And they're like, there is no James. You're, you're the only James. And he would sign it, James, and the number three. And Finally, he starts to connect and the father starts pushing him and he's like, well, so you fought, you flew in this kind of plane. What kind of plane was it? And again, I don't remember the details, but he's like, it was a Messerschmitt 472. Oh, really? What, uh, you know, what ship were you on? Oh, I was on the USS Botanica. And the father goes and looks up information and there's no Messerschmitts. And he comes back to him and he goes, James, there was no Messerschmitts on the USS Botanica. First of all, how did the kid know the USS Botanica was even in the war? Right. How did he he know the word Messerschmitts, right? And then he goes, there was the last year I was stationed there. And he gives the year. And his father goes back and looks. And sure enough, that year, they started having the Messerschmitts or whatever the plane was. His father has a big map scrolled out and he goes, so what happened? Where did you go down? And the kid points to a spot on the map and the Japanese government found the down plane. Wow. The guy's name was, I can't remember his last name, but his name was James and he was James Jr. So his father was James. He was James. James Leiniger was James Third. He was convincing enough that his, his surviving family met James when he was a young boy, and he convinced them. He knew their names. He knew stories about them. He knew things that just couldn't be. And he, was, he, he knew specifics about things, about planes and about friends that he had in the, uh, in the Navy or the Air Force. And everything lined up. They couldn't, you know, how do you just dismiss that summarily? There's too much in those kind of cases. You've got stories that pop up around the world where kids are born, they get to four or five years old almost, and they're like, well, in my last life, I was killed by my best friend, Ben. And mm-hmm. the parents are like, what? And they look it up and sure enough, this guy died. And off of the information this kid got, the police go reinvestigate Ben, the best friend. Turns out the guy admits to murdering him. And then the kid has a, uh, has a birthmark on his head or his shoulder exactly where he was shot or stabbed. It's bonkers. So to me, I think past lives are a thing um but it's it's hard you know if you go in with a preconceived notion what are you going to run into are you going to run into those expectations or something else um i would love to do a, a i've been trying to arrange it where we could actually record Ah, uh, past life regression. While I'm there, I just got to get people in there with good microphones to catch my end and the hypnotherapist. But uh, I, I think if if it's something that intrigues you, sure, give it a shot, give it a try. But don't don't go in expecting that you were a, a barmaid in 1812.
1: Why and- did you even say that? That's weird. You even said that because I have a, I have an idea. I went to Deadwood and Uh i would never been i'd never been to the black hills before in my life any of that stuff went to deadwood and i swear to god in uh south dakota and i i almost knew i would never watched the television show wasn't Mm. into it hate westerns absolutely hated westerns my dad used to make me watch them and i swear to god i could tell what building was going to be around what corner when i was there
2: general Patton had the same thing and he it's in his biography he knew where things were when he was leading war. And that's why he was so successful. He knew how to, how to confront things because he knew the layout of the land before
0: he was even there. You got involved with the travel channel and you've done an enormous amount of stuff with them.
2: I've been as a part of an investigations. I did a, uh, paranormal State, the old show on AE, I did an episode where I took the kids that normally were out fighting demons uh looking for ghosts and, and dark paranormal things. I took them to the Asceti Ranch in Trout Lake, Washington to go UFO hunting. I was the lead judge on a on a mini-series on Travel Channel called Paranormal Challenge, where we would pit two paranormal teams against each other to see if they could you know, how, how their knowledge of history, the use of their um, equipment, and what kind of evidence they would supply us. I did that with Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures. I've appeared on seven or eight episodes of Ghost Adventures, plus their two live specials. And I worked behind the scenes for four years as a location scout researcher for Ghost Adventures. I've uh, been on par- uh, haunted hospitals telling my story. And then I, uh, I have been on Holzer Files the last two years, which were reinvestigating the case files. Of legendary paranormal investigator Dr. Hans Holzer, guy wrote over 145 books on the paranormal, and his family allowed us to reopen these case files, go back and re-examine these cases with 21st century technology and ability to dig deeper into the research than he ever could, and that's what that's what I've been working on ever since.
0: You know, let's talk UFOs for a minute. Okay, it was just maybe a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. that the Air Force released uh, some pretty graphic video of things that were flying next to them did you see that well actually it was just a few weeks ago they released the big report
2: that was mandated by trump as he left office so they finally came out and admitted that out of 214 uh, cases they could not identify 213 of them or something ridiculous but those videos started leaking back in 2017 tom delong the musician was was part of this and he was getting those pieces of footage of the tic-tac videos and uh, the pyramids and some of these other things so it's pretty remarkable that you know during the covid pandemic things start slipping out more and slow soft disclosure begins when everybody's focused on politics and covid the government was trying to slip out some information (laughs) to us and see how we were going to respond to it and uh now it's out there, you know, th- they call them UAPs now because UFOs is too old shoe, right? Uh, it's now unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, okay. But yeah, they've they've now disclosed basically that there are things they know are not Russia, they know are not China and claim they are not us. Um, if aliens don't exist, this is the America posturing. They're saying, oh, we know it's not you, Russia. And China, we know this isn't you. The two countries we're having the most conflict with right now, they're coming out and saying, hey, we know it's not you guys. Boy, we can't figure out what this is. To me, that's kind of like, you better be careful and watch your step because we know exactly what those are. And remember, they're not yours and they're not yours. So that really only leaves one option. And I think America might be posturing to tell them we do have air superiority. So I think that could be an aspect. But I also believe that we are being visited by aliens. There's just too many stories and too many people in power and that have seen these presidents, former presidents, Reagan and Carter have seen them. There's a there's a piece of press footage from Eisenhower, which is fascinating. And it it exists. You can see it. They're doing a press conference for something. And as he's about ready to leave, they go, what about the saucers? And he turns around, he goes, yes, we are aware of the saucers and we're looking into it right now. And he leaves the stage. Just matter of fact, like, right. yes, yes. america Got Talent is on Wednesdays. Check it out. <laughs> it's so, so straight up, right? What about Area 51? Well, sure, that exists. But is it what we think it is? I think they're testing a lot of our, our products. Remember, everything that we get is about 50 years behind what the government already knows, right? All the technology. But you can definitely see that in 1947, when the ship reportedly went down on Roswell, that our technology jumped exponentially after that crash, like exponentially. There's no explanation for it other than we got this information and we got this technology from somewhere. And the fact that you have high-ranking officials, boots on the ground the first day, and you've got Jesse Marcel Sr. who worked with the BOMB that ended world war two knows his things. And he's saying we have a down saucer and his commanding officer says, put out a press release. They put out a press release. We have a down saucer and, and there may be beings and the next day they retract it. And he's, he's standing and you see the picture, Jesse Marcel's holding up a piece of tinfoil and a piece of balsa wood. And he's looking at the camera like, "Hmm," and he has to now say that it's a downed weather balloon. and you you know listen this guy ended up like a full bird colonel there's no way he continued to excel by getting something wrong like a downed weather balloon and a flying saucer so they know what came down what did you just do up in duluth didn't you just have something cool in duluth yeah there was a big paranormal conference that took place up in duluth so i was up there along with a bunch of other paranormal uh tv people and uh and we just had a big conference where we did talks, got to meet with the fans of all the different TV shows and radio shows. And uh it was a fun time. I do that once or twice a month. PJ, didn't you have a question?
0: Um, yes, I think I believe that you co-wrote a book, Dave.
2: Yeah, it was called The Other Side, a guide okay. to Ghost Stunning and the Paranormal. And then in in the wisdom of publishing, they slapped the word teens on the cover. So it became the other side a teens guide to ghost stunning and the paranormal because uh Twilight was all the rage and they thought, ooh, sparkling vampires, ghost hunting. And I, but it's written for everybody, but yeah, we definitely, I co-wrote a book with Marley Gibson and Patrick Burns from the TV show, Haunting Evidence. And it kind of a fun little manual on why we ghost hunt, what is a ghost, what is false evidence, how to protect yourself, what is demonology, just kind of a nice little, and for those of you, for you three watching this, you can see it's a nice little pamphlet size, easy, I call it bathroom reading, bathroom reading, but uh, it's a good little book. To
0: help people indoctrinate themselves into the world of the paranormal, now, does your family recognize what you do and they believe what you believe, or because you've got to have doubters? Sure. I, you know this is what I tell people, and they're always like,
2: what do you what do you tell people that don't believe? I tell them the same thing I tell everybody else. I'm not here to change anybody's mind. I'm here to share my story. and this is my experience. This is what I've seen. This is what I've lived through. And if you're interested and it speaks to you, like Springsteen's music speaks to me and maybe not to anybody else. Right. It doesn't matter. The people that it needs to that need to hear it, hear it. And that's always been what it's been for me. So now, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that a skeptic is just a believer who has not had their own experience yet. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a plane. Right. And I'll sit down and somebody sits down next to me and they're like, oh, you traveling for business or, or pleasure. I'm like oh, a little bit of both. Well, what do you do for work? And there's that moment of, oh, geez, do I tell them I'm a paranormal radio host and I'm no, on TV? No. Sometimes I don't. I tell them I'm an insurance adjuster and yep. they shut up. Yep. Or I tell them, you know, paranormal. And they'll give me the roll of the eyes. But then 10 seconds later, they're like, oh, really? The paranormal? <laughs> That's so <laughs> stupid. I can't believe people believe that. Hey, you know, when I was seven, I saw and all of a sudden they go into the story. So people, many people have had these experiences they just don't necessarily feel comfortable telling them so darkness radio has been a place for now 15 years where people can come tell their stories share their stories hear other people's stories and we don't have to feel judged we're just a place that everybody gets together and and talks about fascinating and strange stuff hey let's talk about
0: your family for just a second sure it's a uh, did somebody say you were the parent of 11 kids uh yes I've created on my own eight.
2: Whitney has three. When we got married, they became 11 altogether. So yes, we have 11 children between the two of us. My oldest son is a Minnesota firefighter in Minneapolis. He'll have guys come in there like Schrader. Are you related to Dave Schrader from darkness radio? And my son does the eye roll. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, man, we love your dad's radio show. We listen. Do you see ghosts? Do you have this? And he's like, no, that's my dad's thing. I'm a firefighter. He's the ghost hunter. <laughs> you know, and, and that's where that's where it lies. But, uh, you know, my kids have different levels of interest. And when they want to come in and when they don't, I I allow them in. I don't make it a big deal. I never try to scare them. Uh, I never try to, uh, you know, if they have questions, I'll answer them. But that's the extent of where I take them in in that journey. And I've gone ghost hunting with most of my kids uh, because they have a fascination at one point or another, or they want to they want to go with their friends for a birthday party. And then I got to make that awkward phone call to every parent to let them know who I am and what I do. It's like, I almost feel like that guy that has to go knock on doors and say, Hey, I'm your new neighbor. By the way, I've got this record behind me. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, mine's a little less weird, but uh, um, people, you know, the parents are usually like, cool. Can I come along? Ancestry.com. You got a couple of stories. When my mom passed away uh, in 2016, I got a a message in 2017 from my cousin. She's our family genealogist. And she said, listen, i bought a a 20 or an ancestry.com kit and your mom was going to do this. But with her passing, I wondered if you would be willing to do it. I'm like, sure. So I spit in the vial and sent it off. And that was the end of it for me. And, I came back from doing a trip in England with about 30 of our listeners to all these haunted castles and places and came back and there was a message. Your answer, your, your ancestry.com kit is back. So I clicked it open and, and it says, uh, you know, it gives you the pie chart to show you what you are and what you're not. And then it says, do you want to see who you're related to? I'm like, yeah, I do. And I click it and you know, I see my cousins and my aunt and people like that. And then there's this one that has a star next to it. And I'm like, what is this? And I click on it and I call my cousin and I said, uh, when you get home, I need you to log in and explain to me what I'm looking at. She calls me back and she goes, honey, you have a daughter. And I'm like, what? And I looked it up and sure enough, um, you know, I, I was best friends with the girl across the street from me. Um, she was a couple of years older than I was. She was more worldly and we did everything together. We were big monkeys fans and cartoon fans and Dr. Who fans and, you know, when when it got to the age where sex started popping up in conversation, uh, and I I would ask her things, you know, she just was like, "Come here, I'll show you." And uh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember when she got pregnant. It's a good
1: neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> state farm is there. Yeah, yeah. better than <laughs> better than <She> state farm. <laughs> farm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and better than all state. The good hands I have people.
1: Questions. So, That's like the best Google ever.
2: I went uh, and I looked and found her on Facebook, and sure enough, in her friends list was my my friend and her mom i remember when she got pregnant i said is it any chance it's mine and she goes no idiot you're 14 my boyfriend's 19 it's his hmm. and i'm like oh all right oh
1: yeah well it's science. it was a dick measuring contest
2: yeah. <laughs> no it wasn't sure. inches Hobbs. it was, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was she uh, she just assumed that the the adult of the two of us is the one that impregnated her Makes and sense. she gave the baby up for adoption when my daughter turned i think 19 her parents gave her all the information so she found her mom and who she thought was her biological dad and i hadn't talked to her mom in like 20 years and i was going to be doing coast-to-coast radio and and talking to michael nesmith as my guest from the monkeys so i i had a reason to call karen and i called her out of the blue i'm like hey karen I left a voicemail. I'm like, I'm going to be on coast to coast this weekend hosting. And I'm talking to Mike Nesmith. Give me a call. Do you have any questions you want me to ask? So she calls me and we chit chat for a few minutes. I caught her up on my mom's passing and her father's passing and her mom was not doing well. And we chit chatted and I go, hey, I got to tell you a funny story. So I did Ancestry.com and I found out I have a daughter I didn't even know existed. She starts laughing at me in hysterics. She's like, you're such an idiot. How would you not know? I go, right. How would somebody not know they're the parent of a child? And, uh, her name is Jen Pazdo. And then you could have heard a pin drop and she goes, that's not possible. That's my daughter. And I go, no, that's our daughter, honey. And she's like, what? Oh my no. God. Wow. So, what no, she, she thought it was her older boyfriend. And I oh god, I felt bad because he, that was his only child. And oh, he found goodness. out that, uh, I was the biological dad and I wrote him a nice email saying, Hey,
0: wow i'm not
2: trying to interrupt the the flow here and uh you know you've been a great dad to her for the last 14 years of her life and uh, you know if she wants to talk to me i'm here and blah 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 and he just kind of dropped out of her life for a while and i i stepped in so i was lucky enough to have that happen and then last year my mom was a hippie in the 60s all right and she used to she lived in illinois so she was near the the naval base and she would go dance with the sailors Literally and figuratively. And uh, I never knew who my biological dad was. Um, we thought it was one guy who was a real peach, real jerk. Just uh, threatened my life when I reached out to him to try to connect. I didn't want like a car to take me out to the ball game. I offered to buy him a beer and shake hands and just see each other once. and He was a jerk. Last year while I was filming the Holzer Files, I had a break and I sat down and flipped open my phone and I had an email from com. And it says Ancestry.com results. And I'm like, well, what the hell? This sounds like a definitely a hoax email of some sort. So I open it just to take a peek. And she's like, my name is Jenny Lynn. I think I'm your sister. I think our dad is your dad. It came back. on, And so I open up my Ancestry.com. And sure enough, boom, Bill Clark, father, son. I was like, oh, my God. So I found out I have. Um, I think it's eight brothers and sisters. Well, seven brothers and sisters. I'm the eighth and I'm the oldest. So I connected and now I've got, I went from being an only child to having seven brothers and sisters. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So it's been a, a weird legacy, but I think my mom nudged my cousin into that direction to to reach out to me. And had she not done that, I would have never found my daughter. I would have never found my biological father and all my siblings. And this guy's a charmer. I love him. And I'll tell you, Moon, what's really kind of neat on this one I fly out to Florida to meet him. And this was right before COVID blew up. I flew out to Florida to meet him. When I reached out to him, he's like, yeah, I want to meet you. You know, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. If I would have known you were my son, I would have been a part of your life. And I get in his car and I kid you not moon. I get in, he gives me this big hug. I sit in his car and I look down and in the, the, the door jam is born in the USA album. Wow. No way. And I look and I go, Oh, you like this? He goes, yeah, that's one of my favorite albums. And I was just like, Boom. There that you was go. Pretty,
0: pretty full circle for me. So it was pretty,
2: yeah. uh, pretty fun. I'll say.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of people wonder, you know, should I buy an Ancestry.com account? I think you just did a screaming endorsement. You could get paid for that. Oh, I did. I did a screaming endorsement in one of two ways, because I've reached out to Ancestry
2: to be an advertiser on our show. And they're like, no, your story is the stuff we want to stay away from. And I'm like, oh, wow. why? And they're like, because nobody wants to know that they have children out there that they didn't know about. And I'm like, what? And they're like, no, seriously, we don't want that advertised. We just want people to find out they're related to uh, yeah. Abraham Lincoln, not to <laughs> yeah. Darkness yeah. Radio Dave. And I'm like, but uh, but, uh, and no, they didn't like that whole aspect.
0: And then Dave, I guess you had an experience with Bigfoot. Yeah, I was about 10 years old. And I was
2: in Foley, Alabama. My grandparents owned 40 acres and about 10 of it was livable. The rest was just wild country. And we had a pond and my cousins and I used to fish in the pond. One day, my cousin, Rob, who's like two years younger than me and I were standing there and we could hear just something big walking around. And we're looking at each other and we're like, well, we've heard our dads and uncles out there hunting and it never sounds like that. This sounded like it was huge. And at the back of the pond, about 40 yards away, there were these tall bushes and hedges. And all of a sudden, this hairy hand that looked like Chewbacca's hand, it had hair coming up over the top, just reaches down, it pushes to the top of the bush down. And I could see from about the bridge of the, you know, right under the nose up. Yeah. And it had this kind of dark gray berry gib mane and yeah. this dark inset face. And it just pushed the, the bushes down and stared at us. And my cousin and I looked at each other and took off like Scooby-Doo up the hill. And we're half expecting to get up to the house and find out it's one of our dads or our cousins pretending to be Bigfoot out in the woods. But they were so unnerved by how freaked out we were. My grandpa, my uncle, and dad all grabbed their shotguns and went out to go see. So that was my one and only experience of being around something that I can't explain that was Bigfoot. I I believe it was a Bigfoot creature because of the way it looked and my memory of it.
0: So where can we watch your stuff or listen to you now? At uh,
2: Discovery Plus or Travel Channel. You'll find Holzer Files uh, there. I'm also, I just filmed a special earlier this year. We're going to do a ghost hunt and investigation at Lizzie Borden's house. And yeah, and it was a really freaky experience. So that'll be coming out in August or September. I hope August, because that's like the anniversary of the the murders that took place there. And would make the most sense. So that'll be coming out. And then uh, I'm going back to start filming in September for another project. We're waiting to see if we're going to get a season three of Holzer Files. And if we do, I I would guess we'll probably start filming sometime in early 2022. Uh, And then Darkness Radio, we've been on the air for 15 years, going in our 16th year, halfway through it now. And any podcast tool out there, if you just look up Darkness Radio, you'll see the skull with the microphone. And uh, that's our logo. You You can stream our show from there. We do shows. Uh, true crime Tuesday, every Tuesday. Then we do paranormal news on uh, Wednesday, where we talk about all the weird stories from around the world that week. Thursdays, we have a guest. And then
0: Fridays, sometimes
2: we do bonus episodes. So that's the best way to catch us.
0: So you're kind of a, a true crime guy too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give us a case that you've, you're following now or one that you'll never forget after you followed
2: it. My first girlfriend in high school, um, was brutally murdered about 20 years ago. And two of her children were killed and her unborn baby was stolen from her. And it was just a messy story that happened in Illinois. It was brutal. So that one stuck with me and has been kind of a a, a big part of my life and my fascination of trying to understand why these things happen. But, uh, you know, I grew up in Illinois when Gacy's case broke. And I remember just, you know, gosh, I, I was a teenage boy at that time. And hearing these stories and realizing all these teenage boys were brutally murdered and buried under his house. And so that one's stuck with me. Uh, Bundy of course, and especially now, you know, uh, there's, we, we talked to an author who worked very extensively in writing about him. And, you know, one of the stories he told was just weird. Bundy was like three years old and his aunt wake wakes up. She had spent the night there and he's standing there with a knife that he had been sliding underneath the sheets And as a three-year-old talking about reincarnation, I thought this sounds like a dark old soul. This sounds like somebody, what three-year-old is standing over their aunt's bed with a knife. And he said, it's interesting you bring that up. He goes, there's a story of when they were in court, they found one of the bodies of a missing girl uh, that Bundy had murdered. And they said that he began to emit this horrible sulfur like smell and his eyes changed and his facial features changed. And it freaked out all of the people there uh, and if you watch that on Netflix, there's the Bundy tapes in the opening. When you hear the narration of the opening, you hear one of them say, and then his eyes turn completely black. And you hear these things, and that's got a supernatural element to it. And we've heard some of these cases. And, and I wish I could remember that one story that we did on our show. Um, I can't remember the killer's name. This guy was horrible. He murdered a bunch of people and then hung the murders on other people. And the author of the book that we had discussed this with, She pushed a couple buttons and he revealed, oh, yeah, there's this one mom in Illinois who's on death row because I killed her kid and pinned it on her. And she got enough information that that mother's conviction got overturned. And could you imagine you lose a child to brutal murder and then you have to spend 18 years in prison for a murder you didn't commit of your own child? And it just so happens this author writing a book is able to crack that case. And this guy said, oh, there's many more. He admits to this. We now know it's true. And instead of bargaining with this jerk, they killed him about, I think it was about six, seven years ago, they put him to death, knowing that there are other people behind bars for crimes he committed, but they were done with him. They were tired of his games and they wanted. But that showed no justice for the people that are rotting in prison.
0: And that that story really kind of uh, hung with me because it's just so dark. Well, it looks like we can find you almost everywhere. You can find him online. You can find him on TV. You can find him uh, doing darkness radio. Uh, It's been our pleasure to talk to you. I mean, we had no idea that uh, you had that many stories. This means you probably didn't even do a quarter of them, which means we have to have you back. Oh, I haven't done one 100th of them, Moon. I'd be happy to come back.
2: <laughs> and in October, uh, around Halloween or so, if you want me to come back, I'll tell you some of the creepiest stories we've collected over the years and give your listeners okay. a, a freak-out session. I would like that a lot. Yes.
1: All right,
0: Dave Schrader, hey, thank like you, you very much. There thank you go. Thank you so
1: much for joining yeah. us. Thank Yay. you.
0: Thank you all. We would appreciate it if you like and share this podcast. That'd be great. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, you can reach out at moonpjughobbs.com at gmail.com. Send us programming ideas, whatever you want. The website's Moon, Pjug, and Hobbs.com. You can find us on the Tom Bernard Network or, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you want. Have a great week. We'll see you next Friday. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes you need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes it's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes why do you always listen i guess we'll never know a fat guy in a wheelchair what the does he know it's time to end the podcast it's time to get some likes Go to your computer, type it in, you're gonna win. We are out of lyrics in Boopie, Jug, and Hobbs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. It. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good it though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery.
1: Ha <laughs>